Welcome to the Awe and Wonder podcast. We're talking about literacy in this series, and we have a special guest today, Alyssa Wern. We're so excited. Hello. So I'm Sarah Kinsella. And I'm Brenda Del Monte. And here we have Alyssa. Alyssa, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm very happy to be here today. Talk about one of my passion topics for sure. Um, I live in Florida. I am an occupational therapist by background and work for a school system here doing um, assistive technology, curriculum supports, pretty much a little bit of everything. Um, and also work a little bit in Texas as an OT doing that, uh, doing occupational and, and assistive technology supports. So, all right. Great. Well, and we know you from your Facebook group, um, Focus on Comprehensive Literacy for All. What What's the official group name, Melissa? Uh, Comprehensive Literacy for All Book Study. That's right. Okay. What round are you on at this moment? Um, so depending on when this podcast airs, we will be in the middle of round six, which will be starting uh, later this month, early September. So tell us how that works, the rounds. Well, yeah, first of so all, this how is, did it get started? Let's oh start my goodness. Uh, mm, one yeah. of those things that uh, when this book, for when Karen Erickson and David Copenhaver's book first came out, there were a couple of us that worked in a different spots in the world that wanted to just kind of go through it together. So I was like, well, let's use this as a medium. Um, started that group um, in January of 2020 with no idea we would land where we were or that there would be a global pandemic in the middle of this but started that group with the intention of 20 or so of us kind of working through the book and being able to comment um, and uh, didn't at that point name it round one, but that was essentially what we started with was let's work through this book systematically and talk about what we don't know and talk about what we're curious about and talk about what we tried and was a miserable failure um, and just know better, do better kind of philosophy. And um so we did that first round and thought, well, that went well. And other people started asking. And I was like, well, we could do this again. Thus, round two was born. Um, and all these many years later, uh, we just are finishing up, finished up um, the middle of August in round five. And uh, overwhelmingly, there was a request for round six. So we are going to dive in again for uh, the sixth kind of ideation of this going through the book, but we're going to do it in a slightly different way. We've kind of done it differently every round. Um, is it a book? Is it a chapter a week, a chapter a month? How do you guys do it? Uh, so uh, everyone's favorite answer, it depends. <laughs> um, so in the first couple of rounds, it was a little more structured. Of We're going to do a chapter every two weeks or so. Um, we clustered some of the beginning matter chapters together in a little bit less timeline. And then um, in that in that regard, kind of followed a two week structure. Um, we have done kind of uh, fast track rounds where we were more reviewing than diving deep. Um, mm -hmm. And then round six is probably going to be more on the dive deep side, um, kind of case study based, basically following two learners through the book. Um, that are kind awesome. of an amalgamation of everybody I've ever worked with in my career as an emergent or a uh, or, or conventional literacy learner. Ooh, uh, I'm excited so, about round Yeah, three. it's a different spin. I keep trying to kind of reinvent the wheel of, you know, for somebody that's been with us since round one or round two, how can we as an adult learner, you know, take something new away, um, the same format over and over again, isn't necessarily going to bring different results. So, 
looking at, you know, we focused a little bit more on implementation the last couple of rounds, and then we're going to do the same, but with a very specific kind of either get a student in your mind or follow along with our two students who have yet to be named um, in their in their case study journey. Well, this this just leads right into our first question. So if you go back in the beginning of your career, maybe, um, is there a student that comes to mind that just um, made you go, oh my goodness, everyone can learn to read and write, you know, someone that you realized I have to, I have to take a deeper dive. I mean, you're an occupational therapist, so literacy is not necessarily what you're gravitated to. So what is, I know a lot of times when we reflect on our careers, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't talk about them all. And there's bits and pieces from everyone you've worked with, I'm sure. But does, who comes to mind when you think about that? So I, I do have some, but first I want to correct the mis misconception that OTs do not have a role in literacy learning. Thank um, you. AOTA actually has a, um, I don't know if it's officially a fact sheet or a memo, but I can share the link that you can put in show notes that talks about OT's roles in literacy. And yes. a lot of times it comes with what we would more traditionally think the writing portion of literacy that OT right. would support. Um, and that absolutely, when we talk about access to the alphabet, it's one place that OTs are just there. The way that we view things, it's, it's very easy for us to think of possibilities for uh, many students who somebody would at first value go, well, I don't know, is there a way? Um, and I and I really, you know, I, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a cop-out answer. I think it's a collection of learners over 20 plus years, you know, oftentimes it's all in my, in my area, I do a lot of work with kids who have very complex needs. So sometimes that's physical complexity or communication, most often both. Um, and, you know, in thinking about this question, the two students that kind of come to mind are one is um, an iGaze user who um, I've had the fortune of following from when they were a three-year-old kid entering our school system to now being high school. Um, and I think in that case, it was more about building rapport with the family to help them see like there's not a magic wand we can wave to make this process faster or quicker, but that it was about trusting the process and trusting us and us trusting them with their their kiddo um, mm -hmm. to know, you know, how are we going to come to this solution that works for everybody together? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the second student's really a student who has long since graduated and I think had had a lot of literacy attempts and literacy failures as the world went on because it was an older student. And I think finding the right access method for them to have access to the alphabet just kind of ultimately changed the trajectory of their schooling um, mm -hmm. and put them in a place where they were able to communicate what they wanted, when they wanted to everybody. And um, uh, fortunately for them, all these years of instruction that they had been taking in was just kind of hanging out inside of them. Um, and they needed some opportunities to be able to get that information out. Um, so what was their best access method? So for that student, it was a combination of a paper uh, image of an old IntelliKeys keyboard. Mm -hmm. um, that was their go-to to type things out. Um, and we transitioned them to a, a dynamic device that allowed them access to a keyboard that was very similar. Um, but the old fallback of sometimes the simplest solution is the best solution. They were very quick utilizing that method. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Nice. No, I wish we could bring back IntelliKeys. 
Well, <laughs> uh, funny enough, the blue keyboards still are completely functional. And uh, as one of my side projects, I worked with AT Makers to, which is a, a 501c3 yeah. to revitalize that so that it can be used on a Chromebook, it can be used on an iPad, it can be used on any device, Mac, Windows, um, and is still able to be used as an adapted keyboard. It's um, nice. for a lot of learners, it is the right tool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the just right tool, whether you have a key guard or not, in providing access to the alphabet. Yeah, love it. Yeah. And, and it's around so many of us will open that closet and say, yay. <laughs> absolutely. If you see a blue keyboard, do not throw it away. Yeah. Um, it can absolutely be utilized. And there are if you don't have a need for it, we can connect a user to you that does. Mm. Alyssa, you mentioned a couple times already about access to um, the alphabet. And I'm sure you have more to say about that. And I'm kind of thinking that might be one of these guiding principles I'm about to ask you about, um, what what are some guiding principles you've learned along the way in your role with AAC and literacy? So I could do my darndest to summarize it well. Um, I lean into the 10 elements that Karen Erickson and David Copenhaver talk about in their book. Mm -hmm. um, and at any given moment, working with a student or a family, one or more of them resonate across, you know, the situation, making sure there are knowledgeable others around that that user. Um, may I may be able to be there once or twice a week, but there may be others that need to know how do they do A, B, and C. Um, you know, making sure I think probably the biggest struggle that is a mind shift for special education administrators and educators is that our students should have two hours or 90 minutes at minimum of literacy um, and making that work in a classroom structure that, again, because of mindset, um, may have transitioned to, I'm going to use air quotes if you're listening, uh, just audio-wise, um, functional skills. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when I think about big picture long-term functional skills, there is no more functional skill than literacy. Mm -hmm. And when we think about what do we want our learners, if you work in a K-12, pre-K-12 system, when they leave us at 21, 22, whatever your state-like guideline is, if we could leave them with one skill, it should be literacy. Mm -hmm. All these other yeah. skills are really important, but literacy is kind of like that gateway skill that if they have all the literacy in the world in whatever manner works for them, they're going to be able to be successful at whatever their post-school outcome is, right? Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, like I, one of my student examples for you was an older student. There is, it is never too late. Um, I probably every other week either get a Facebook message from a parent or a teacher or see in the Facebook group, well, my son or daughter is 29, is 30, is 19. You know, is it too late for them? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. um, would we have loved to have that intervention from when they were three on? Yes, but we have families and educators all over the world that are working on comprehensive literacy structures for students that, um, that are well past, you know, a school age. Um, and I think when I think about the big picture of like my story of how I jumped into comprehensive literacy, it really was from the access method perspective, right? Whether that's access to a communication device or access to the alphabet. Um, and I think it's important that we're 
we're doing as good a job doing collaborative work among the professions and not get into a, well, SLPs own AAC. They are the language masters, absolutely. But there are other pieces of the access, how it's mounted, you know, what, what they may need to access it. Just like I don't want to claim to own independent living skills as an OT um, and that the language and structures and obviously for PT, PT support in there is vital. And the better job we do be co being collaborative partners, the better outcomes we have for our learners. Um, and I have yet to meet uh, a student who was too something, too disabled, too blind, too visually impaired to learn literacy skills. Mm -hmm. um, I love what does it saying. take longer? Is it more of a struggle? Do you have to work harder? Yes. But I, I really, when I think about or get get asked to, to look at a new student situation, those things all are kind of bouncing around in my mind that like we may mess up a lot before we find the right setup. And then when we find the right setup, it's lots and lots of repetition over and over again, making it interesting along the way. Um, but the, I, I, that's way more than guiding principles, but. That's okay. But we I love, love that. You're saying. I, I think, I think one of the guiding principles then is, is that you need to be collaborative in in how you're approaching it, especially for those with complex bodies. And, you know, we always say that access trumps language and literacy, meaning you can't, the best language system in the world, the best device, whatever you think that is, the best literacy instruction, the, the, the student has to independently access and respond to questions being asked or um, letters being put in front of them. I remember going into a classroom that the student was on eye gaze and he had yes and no taped to his tray and he couldn't move his hands. He couldn't see his tray based on his positioning because, and so I was like, what are we doing there? Yeah. Is and, it there for the adults? Is it yeah. there to look right. nice? It's obviously yeah. not functional. And so it was hand over hand on that. And I was like, so again, I think the access piece is something that um, we as um, maybe special ed teachers, definitely as speech pathologists, don't get enough training on, rarely gets talked about when you think about how large the field of speech pathology is as far as voice and stuttering and all kinds of things, when you think about this percentage of people that um, in speech pathology that are working with complex bodies, it's small and therefore the in instruction in grad school or any other time is limited. So you better be working with your OT because if not, you're measuring access, you're not measuring knowledge, you're not measuring cognition, you're not measuring comprehension. You're measuring access. They always pick the one on the right. That's the yeah, only one how well does their body work? That's what you're yes, measuring. That's what and you're measuring. The reason assistive technology exists is to switch that to being able to measure what do they truly know, not what can their body tell you. Right. 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 Well, so I want to go back to something you said about the time it takes to to do comprehensive literacy instruction in a classroom and the time it should take and how you, I think you mentioned that that's a pretty big hurdle or challenge, right? Teachers have so much going on, um, so many needs that are different than, uh, and and when I think we think about our schedules, it's like, you want me to do what? How long? Um, do you have any tips or how have you seen this work well in classrooms? Yeah, I think um, first it's that mindset shift to know like, yes, all those other things important. It's important that we, you know, get through their self-care routines. Those are all really important things. And for me, it's about finding the right pockets of the day. 
Um, I think it's often very overwhelming to, to tell an educator or for an educator to be told, you have to find 90 minutes to do literacy. And mm -hmm. if you're mirroring what's happening in gen ed, that's a full 90 minute block like of instruction. And we know for a lot of our learners, that's not going to work. Right. So for me, it's about strategically across the day, where can we embed literacy in routines that matter, right? Can they sign in when they come in in the morning? Can they, you know, indicate their choice of what they want for lunch if they're eating by mouth? You know, where can we embed literacy activities across a day so that when we do the sum total of those literacy activities, we're getting as close to that 90 minutes? And and I think, you know, if I were to say anything, it would be like, don't get overwhelmed by the 90 minutes, just start adding literacy, mm, um, start good. adding activities, you know, I think, you know, and it's not about, you know, we said, you know, talking about the best AAC device, it's not even really just about what's the best literacy curriculum for, for students who have complex needs. The best curriculum is not going to be a surprise to any special educator who has worked in, in education for any length of time. It is pieces of a bunch of different curriculums. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we I, I'm in Gainesville, Florida, where they actually uh, piloted and have researched the UFLY um, literacy program for phonemic awareness. So mm -hmm. our district uses that K2 district wide. It's now used all over the world. We have complex learners who are making great gains in that component of literacy, right? It's only one piece of it. So mm -hmm. we're borrowing from that to do the phonics and phonemic awareness portion of alphabet knowledge portion of our literacy instruction. And we're looking elsewhere for how do we build comprehension in? How do we do this? How do we build writing in? Right. So uh, unfortunately, as is the way in special education, there's not a what per, what can I purchase off the shelf that's going to magically work for all my learners. That's not how special education has ever been for complex learners. And I don't really hope I hope it's not ever how it is, because I think then we get in this rut of we can only do it if we have a boxed curriculum. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when you look across what is best practice, whether it's emergent or conventional literacy, it's really about how are we engaging that learner in alphabet routines and shared reading and writing experiences, whether that is independent writing or us helping support them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, the more that we're able to not look at as it as a big block of 90 minutes, which is scary, right? Like that's right. a lot of on time that is required of our educators and of our of our learners. But the more we look at it as where can we infuse 90 minutes of literacy instruction across our day in a way that that supports them, that they're getting access to the, all the components. And if you can't start with all the components, that's okay. The goal is where is a place we could start with more next. Mm -hmm. And that. I think you make a good point about um, the box curriculum. Sometimes the box curriculum is, goes so far as to even be scripted. And the thing is, is I would say what we're missing in, if we even want that, is we're missing student choice. We're missing a lot of the pieces that make literacy interesting and make it relevant. Why does R matter to you? Because your brother's name is Robert. I mean, that's not in any curriculum, right? So it's like we have to we have to do it the way it's where we're taking solid research based um, strategies from a variety of curriculum, um, but allowing there to be student choice and um, variability in there so that it stays interesting and so that it stays age appropriate because a lot of the boxed curriculum 
for emergent literacy is very young and because it's for general education. And if you have an older user at that level, that box curriculum is baby talk, so to speak, right? It's It's going to be super age respectful. And I think it's great that we're in a space today that we do have literacy curriculum options, right? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. That is like, if we were talking 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, back when podcasts barely existed, like we would not be saying, well, there are options. It's about, you know, incorporating student choice and voice and picking what works, right? Like we've success, seen success with Ufly, So we are throwing that in there with other things because it's also a language our teachers know, right? If your district is using Hegarty, another, like whatever that phonemic or phonem, you know, phonics program is, and you as a special educator want to go, hey, how could, how could we use this with our learners? Absolutely, right? Then it gives you access to training that every teacher is getting, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of advantages to taking a general ed support and modifying it or adapting it to your needs, but there's also a place for, here's some really great resources that have been developed. Um, And I'm happy to give you guys a list of things that we know people have pulled from. I'm never gonna say what's the best curriculum out there. Um, but if you wanna add some stuff to the show notes, I can I can toss you some, some links. Definitely, yeah, thank you. I'm wondering um, what your approach might be to, um, people that are resistant to using keyboards or alternative keyboards um, and really, really hammering the handwriting. And um, it, you know, there's a, it, that, that comes from all sides, right? Sometimes parents are like, no, they need to be able to write their name or whatever. And then, then you feel like the whole writing part of literacy is at a standstill until the penmanship is legible. So can you talk a little bit about how you can move forward with and particularly the right the writing, the writing piece yeah. when you have when you have the the motor skills for potentially doing right handwriting but they're you know they're 10 and they hate it and it's so hard to is as SLP to think about incorporating a writing piece when you know the minute you pull out a pencil and a paper they're going to they throw it leave you know have a fit so it's like how do we balance that um the teams kind of well we don't want to give up on handwriting and i want to move literacy forward regardless of the legibility of the handwriting yeah we could do an entire podcast episode about just handwriting and what OTs really think, and how does this yeah. fit into literacy? That's a whole other episode, but I'll try to give you my my uh, two minutes or less synopsis. Um, I think it. I think two things when I think about maybe reluctant, or you've got somebody on the team that is it is very like they need to be able to write. One is it starts even before that conversation happens. It starts back as you've been building rapport with whoever it is on that student's team. Um, it's about being able to come alongside whoever it is and just kind of talk your way through your thinking. Because often it's not you're diametrically opposed. It's just, I mean, I see they like to pick up a pencil and do things. Is handwriting possible? And the second, I think, is asking the question of, does it make the most sense? Is it the most efficient and effective way for them to convey what they know? It might be the most efficient and effective way for them to write their name or to label things as their own, right? It probably won't be the most efficient or effective way for them to show us that they've understood a story by retelling it by writing, right? Um, Or to write a story on their own. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And when, when you've built rapport with a family or a teacher, whoever is kind of saying, but handwriting, um, I'll often say, can you just give me a week? Will you trust me for a week? And then we try both. Mm-hmm. I have them, pr- you know, try a keyboard out. I have them try handwriting out. And then the proof is kind of in the data, right? It's, it's this student may not have known where all the keys were, but man, they were able to string together three words twice as fast as they could write those three right. words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's about, you know, being able to show like, you know, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, you know, long-term, especially if it's a family member, long-term, you know, is it tied to what they see as their post-school outcome for their learner, which often that is, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's impossible to kind of unwind that ball of, but I always thought they'd be able to write when they graduated. And I'm not ever going to give up on written production. I'm going to talk about what method is going to be most effective and efficient for that learner. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, depending on what it is, I have learners that will default to typing in their notes app, their grocery list. And when I think about having a conversation with another adult, I ask them, well, how do you make your grocery list? How do you, you know, how do you make a, a, a jot of all the things you have to bring to work tomorrow? And if it's they open up their calendar and they put it in the app, I, I kind of say, well, you know what? I want that same outcome for your learner. And that's a typing skill. Right. Um, and so we all have I different don't methods. close the conversation as an either or. I think of it as a both and. And let's talk about for this task, let's break down the most efficient and effective. Um, those two E's are very, very uh concise as my theory, but I think that they're really important because nobody wants to do anything that's hard for them. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're going to spend the bare minimum amount of time doing it if, if it's not efficient or effective. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Great. Great answer. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. you did it in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. The, we need more conversations around it. Yes. Yes. Um, Alyssa, what do you feel? I mean, you were obviously very passionate about that, but what what are you most passionate about related to AAC and literacy? Um, I think it's I, I definitely have a heart for learners that a lot of people have passed by in their educational mm. career and have said, you know, I just don't know how I I don't know how to make this happen for them. Um, and I think it's tied to me. I do a lot of work in the area of AAC. It's tied to me in having the right communication system. Um, and I intentionally use the word system because I don't think a single device equals a communication system for a learner because that device doesn't really work on a beach and doesn't really want to work and when it's raining all that well. So I think having a good system is tied hand in hand to literacy. And and again, like we talked about earlier, if they can't access that system, it's just a really expensive paperweight. Um, mm-hmm. So making sure that we're we're making good decisions and especially if it's a funded device, you know, I, anybody who works in AAC feels the pressure of it's a five to six year decision if you're doing funded through private insurance or Medicaid. And that's a that's a big ask to have a crystal ball enough to feel mm-hmm. like where is that literacy learner going to be in five years. But if they can't access it in year one, it's going to be a paperweight for a chunk of that time. And, and another and, good reason to collaborate, right? And yeah, absolutely, when the they're doing those trials, you know, often it's, 
you know, an SLP has zeroed in on for many reasons, you know, this is a good language setup for them. And there are so many things that we can do in a, in any of the apps to adjust it to meet our access needs. Um, Sarah Gregory is an SLP who works in AAC and I wrote a book chapter um, specifically looking at how do we adjust it for a learner who has sensory integration or sensory processing needs? Like what are settings we can make in an AAC device? Because I saw a lot of learners, she's in a whole different state, but I saw a lot of learners where I was that because of their tactile sensitivities or their visual needs, um, that we were having a large like refusal to use a device. And it wasn't because they didn't have anything to say. They had lots to say. It was just, you know, we know for a lot of kids who have sensory processing issues, it kind of triggers that pain pathway almost for them. Like this is the, the same thing for us touching a hot stove is a lot of our kids' sensory needs. So being able to find that right, just right setup once we've decided to, as a team on that language system and you guys have said, hey, you know what, we're using app A or we're going to go with this device, no matter what that device is, there are lots of things we can do to adjust for access, for sensory processing needs, um, and, and make it the just right setup, not just mm -hmm. this is the right one, but make it really customized and just right for that individual learner. Alyssa, how do we find that chapter you were talking about? So I can send you a copy of the link to the book. Um, I'm, you're going to quiz me right now and I'm not going to remember the name of the total okay. book, but it's a case study approach to implementing AAC. And, um, I've actually heard from quite a few SLPs that work in universities that they're using it in their courses, which Great. makes me excited because I know the amount of AAC that happens in a lot of SLP programs and it's not much. Mm -hmm. So if anything we can do to make that, um, that knowledge base that, that you all as SLPs come out with be wider about AAC um, is, is great. great. But I'll, yeah, I can definitely get you the link so that you can link it. I'm a bad author. I make no money from the book, but I'm a bad <laughs> author if I can't remember the title of the book. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so um, you are managing this Facebook group and, um, you know, what we have realized, Sarah and I do consultative services through the Special Ed Tech Center. And so people come on and everyone's um, base knowledge base is different and their lived experiences are different. And we might say something. I mean, obviously, we know if we say an acronym, they might know it. But I'm just saying we might just talk about a strategy and we realize that um, it didn't land for everyone the same because they don't have anything that they're building it from. Some of them are building foundation. Others have have honed skills. So it lands differently. I think the book Comprehensive Literacy for All was written very succinctly, very clearly. Having said that, I also know, because we've done book studies as well on that, that the, there's a there's a variety of interpretations. So first of all, what is it hard to play your role? And what is your role? Like, because you're not the literacy police in this. I have been on the Facebook groups. Don't want to, that, so. don't want that title. Nope. Don't want that. Nope. Nope. So, so, and, but I think it, it relates to comments on the Facebook post for sure, but also just even if you're not part of any of that, it's like you go in, you do a training, you're excited, you leave, you come back and they, they latched onto one thing and they didn't listen to the disclaimers before and they didn't listen to the generalization skills after that. And you realize, oh, that they they got part of it, you know. So I'm wondering what you're how you manage, um, you know, just other professionals um 
getting partial information and, or or um, teaching from this space of partial information, how do we manage that as as professionals? That's a big and loaded question. So, um, so I would say first in the Facebook group, um, as the rounds have gone on, um, I've been careful. Like, yes, I'm the administrator of that group, but I feel like the community owns that group. Um, I'm yeah. very intentional about like, unless it's something very blatant, like I try to, to stay in the lane of providing a, a space for support. Now, if there's something that is a hundred percent left field, if they're posting something that is very clearly not research-based, you know, um, I'm either going to make a comment about it, um, you know, or we're going to, you know, I do have some, some relationship with Dr. Erickson and she does, people who are in the boat, the group will see that she does post, um, and, you know, and I think we've kind of worked out a good rhythm of, you know, we want to encourage people from where they are to the next step and right. where that's going to be is different for you. It's different for me. It's different for everybody who's experiencing the book. I mean, in, in a new round, I may have a learner who literally somebody put their book on this book on their desk at the start of pre-planning and said, you've got to do this this year. Right. And I have somebody who's been doing this work of literacy with their learner, whether that's as an educator or a parent for five years. Right. So kind of meeting in the middle and saying, you know, here's where I would guide you. Here's some research about it. You know, there are some, a lot of really great parent, you know, from an educator's perspective, but parent friendly resources. Um, we maintain a file depository, pretty much every question that's ever been asked, you can search with in the Facebook group. And I will either you know, comment on the post and say, hey, you know, you know, the understanding based on, you know, current best practice is mm -hmm. kind of let us get an answer out there. And then it's not a you're wrong, I'm right, because right. that just feels icky for everyone involved. And that's not um, the goal of your group it's not, at all. It's absolutely yeah. going to accomplish the exact opposite. You're going to get somebody mm -hmm. who either um, leaves in a, in a tirade of upset and says, see those comprehensive literacy people, they're just mean if we don't 100% right. follow them, right? And the whole goal is let's change understandings, right? Like, you know, if if you've been in this profession for a while, we didn't always have access to a robust set of research about what does work right. with our learners. You know, we would have studies that were N of one that had one participant as a case, you know? Right. And and so now that we do have kind of collections, you know, Erickson and Copenhaver's book being one of those sources, we're mm -hmm. able to lean into and pull in, you know. Um, what do we know that's working, you know, and and they're continuing to evolve too. you know, um, the last couple of places I've been where Erickson has been presenting, they're kind of looking at this building bridges model of, of comprehensive literacy. And what does that look like when, which is reality, we're sitting with classrooms that have kids that are both emergent and you know, conventional mm -hmm. and how do we make that work? Um, and I think the middle of the road is probably the truest and best place for our educators and our parents to lean into because I have yet to see a student that is 100% emergent really, or 100% conventional. Just like we all have different levels of skills in our day-to-day -day jobs, we have kids that are like, I love letters and alphabet, my alphabet knowledge is like ready for conventional literacy, but maybe my comprehension isn't. And so I right. think kind of staying with the trends of what we know about research-based best practice um, is kind of the guiding force. And then it's just a lot about coming alongside, you know, the coaching I provide in that comprehensive Facebook group is not any different than what I would do sitting across from a teacher in a classroom. It's 
where are you? What questions do you have? Let's like talk through this. And if it's not making sense, like, okay, let's go back and ask those questions. Like to me, what I love about the community in that group is that oftentimes a question will be asked and it might be, I'm looking for a resource or I really don't get this. Like how can somebody who can't hold a pencil write? Um, a question will be posed in the group and maybe I'm at work that day and it's five hours before I see the group. By the time I've gotten to go and answer a question, at least five other people have popped in with, hey, have you seen this or have you tried this? Or my daughter had that problem and here's what I was able to do. Mm -hmm. So I feel like combining those two things helps. Like, yes, giving guidance when needed about, you know, here's what we understand about best practice. And a lot of times it's just a didn't know that, you know, like didn't realize. I think the most popular example is simple text didn't realize that doesn't aid in comprehension, but yes, right. it's still critical for our AAC users to use while communicating. Those spaces are places for education and coaching and not for chastisement. If we right. come down on, we come down with a hammer of literacy that says you're wrong. Well, chances are we've done way more harm than good. And that learner is who really loses. Right. I know. And you know what I will say? I love your graphics. I mean, you do incredible graphics and every once in a while I see a graphic and I'm like, oh, somebody asked something and she made a graphic about it. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know if it's because it, it helps me to kind of yeah, encapsulate what's happening or yeah. um, I've also really gotten great feedback from within the group. Um, I have lots of people who've gone on to do their own book studies and have said, hey, can we use Yes, use those yeah. graphics, please. Mm -hmm. Like you I just say, don't alter it. Make it funky, but like, you know, use those graphics. If it helps somebody to do the work of literacy, to see it in the way that we've displayed it, yes, please. Like, um, yeah. it's it's one of those things that I'm just kind of a, a Canva tinkerer in my in my spare time. And I try to think about, you know, if I had never seen this material before, is mm -hmm. there a way I can visually represent it, represent it in a way yeah. that that someone could look at it and go, Oh, that makes sense. And yes. You know, it's like visuals don't work for everybody, just like they don't in our in our classrooms. And so finding ways that are both visual and and in discussion questions to kind of guide things, mm -hmm. I think is helpful. But I think I think you've done a good job and some of the visuals have um, not too much content on it so that, you know, you can post it and it's not overwhelming. I highly recommend you throwing them all together on Teachers Pay Teachers or something. I think that I think if I could have access to the stack of those, I I so would've... here's what I will tell you: I will never sell them. Okay. And anybody Please. who emails me, I will share them with them. Um, all right. I I'm not ever gonna sell that work because I feel like we already have a high bar for a lot of our educators or parents to access this material. Um, and to me, this group and these images are all about um, how do we make this material accessible? And, you know, in terms of my when I think about, you know, my microcosm of effect and my, you know, spreader, it's it's if somebody wants to use these visuals in a book study. Um, and I know I'm setting myself up for like a mega ton of requests and that's OK. Just be patient. Or you um, can put it on Teachers Pay Teachers. You know, is 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 that like I want I want this to be accessible and I yeah. want I want our 
our parents to feel as equally enabled as our educators that that they can come to the table and say, you know, I, you know, and I've had parents do this, you know, at Erickson and Copenhaver's book, I was reading that blah, blah, blah. Where does shared writing, you know, reading happen during the day? Mm -hmm. And I love it when parents Mm -hmm. do that because I can, I can tell that they're thinking about what's best practice and I can tell that they, what they want. I, I know what their goal is for their learner. Right. Um, and I love that. And yeah, I think that that's one of the benefits of social media, right, is those quick clips that as long as we take them and and either say, I need to learn more about this or I'm going to read some discussion about it. But we can take that. And, and parents who have often very little time to do training and read the books and all that can can grab those things that I think that's fantastic. And it's so nice that we have the resources. Yeah. Every once in a while, I think about why I want to do a poll in the group and see percentage of parents versus percentage of educators. I know the Mm -hmm. data would not be clean because we have parents who are educators and educators who are parents and providers. And, um, but I, I mean, I, I am always pleasantly surprised that very often in those first five answers that they get answered before more than one of them is apparent. I love Fantastic. it. I think we're doing our work and this is internationally, you know, I, that we play the time zone great, game great on Facebook because if a question gets posted and somebody from Australia answers, you know, like there are often answers before somebody is up in the morning. Um, yeah. And I think that that, you know, that does help and the international perspective that, you know, um, down in that part of the world, they've got Jane Farrell doing amazing comprehensive literacy for all work, and they get the benefit of their kind of rich learning there that they can then share out with other people. So I, like Definitely. I said, I starting in January 2020, if you had told me we would land here now, which I think the last time I looked, it was 6,000 some people, I would have probably laughed in your face and said, that's, that's an interesting thought. I not in any sense of the word did I ever think that we'd be here now. And um, I just, it I when I'm having a tough day and something isn't going right, I can always kind of go back to that group and go, you know what, though, like, so-and-so-and-so-and-so got information they needed today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we never really know what the ripple effect of that is going to be. But um, if we keep providing resources in a way that our educators, if they're in a place, their workplace is not necessarily supporting this, and they're one person on an island or the only person in their school doing this, providing that community in other ways, I think is critical because comprehensive literacy work for complex kids, it's hard work. I don't want anybody to walk away and think, oh, all you have to do is join a Facebook group and you're going to know how to do all this stuff. It's hard work. You know, because our kids have hard situations sometimes, kids, mm-hmm. all of them are kids. Our learners have hard situations, right? And being able to know that if you try something and it didn't work out, there's a space where you can come and make an ask, you right. know, or if you're just like, oh, I just don't even, what's step one? There's a right. space where you can come and say, like, I'm new to this stuff, but here's my learner and Nice. You know, fortunately, we've never had a space that an educator kind of violated, you know, FERPA, HIPAA, parents posting pictures, that's all on, you know, within their power. We've mm-hmm. been able to create a space where people can can feel safe to ask those questions. And, you know, that's what having this community of knowledgeable others, it's important for the learner to make progress in literacy, but I think it's equally important for the team that's surrounding them. Yes. And that's why we're, we're checking that Facebook page at you know, 10 at night and <laughs> working hard. 
you you um, mentioned, you know, if someone comes and they want to know where to start. Um, and that that's a question that Brendan and I had for you is what what would you say for someone who is looking for a place to start with comprehensive literacy or what have people said in your posts that? Yeah. So I think the biggest encouragement I could give is just start, right? Like if you're if your learner is uh, super alphabet interested or loves to sit and read books with you, like pick a place that's that feels manageable to kind of bite off and start with. Um, you know, there's really, you know, some good comprehensive literacy instruction is better than no instruction at all. And so I don't want people to feel the pressure of I've got 90 minutes and I've got to do all these types of literacy within it. It's okay, what can we add this week or and then wait two weeks and let's try that. And if we did predictable chart writing for a while and we've got that routine now, you know, what's another space we could add on? Um, because I think that um, the biggest thing I would say is don't let the fear of this is overwhelming paralyze you. Start with what you know. If you're an educator, you know good literacy. You know what it's like to read a book, right? Mm -hmm. So sit with that learner and read a book and maybe start the process of saying, I'm not going to pepper them with questions, right? We're mm -hmm. just going to kind of do a book walk and see what they notice. What do they point to? Can I comment about that without asking a question? You know, lean into resources that are already out there. My Facebook group that I help support is just one of them, but there are lots of resources out there. And I think, you know, if, if we can lean into a learner's interests and start moving them forward in literacy, then it starts to be feel less overwhelming, right? Like our kids love to have small victories. And so do we too, as, as adult facilitators of learning, right? Being able to get a goal that is literacy focused, maybe again, we add shared reading or we start to do independent writing stations and the you might try something and it might not work and that's okay. I think sometimes in special education, we forget that that happens in general education classes too, that right. a teacher prepares an amazing lesson about such and such story and like the, it just bombs, mm -hmm, right? Like we need to give ourselves permission to fail and that's okay. And it's also really important to model that failure no matter how uncomfortable it feels for our learners. Right. Because it's something they experience probably more often than we do. I tried something and I couldn't do it. We need to model like it's OK. You know what? I'm going to ask for help with that or I'm going to find a new way and we're going to try again. Um, I think just start. And that seems like a very like, I don't know. I don't know, postcard saying way to way <laughs> to talk about what how do we start? But I think it's just start. You know, we have tons of people who are uh, quote unquote lurkers in the Facebook group and will message me and will apologize for just being a lurker. And I'm like, you do what works for you, right? Like if you feel like this first round that we're going to, you know, next, next week or the week after, or you jump in a little bit late because you're hearing this podcast later and you just want to go back and read through posts, there's a lot of great resources and a lot of things that can be absorbed. And again, just try something. Try yeah. moving our learners forward because um, it's beyond they deserve it. You know, literacy is that fundamental human right. And and that applies to every one of our communicator, complex communicators as as much as it does to to Johnny, who's sitting in, you know, the fourth grade reg ed classroom. Um, and know, know that progress might be slow. Right. And there might be a lot of like ups and downs as you're doing it. But I think that's where, you know, finding community and knowing that, again, our ultimate goal, 
when I think about my learners, when they leave me at 22 from my school system work, I want them to be able, if they have a communication system, they can access, but it doesn't have a word they want to tell us, right? Can they spell close enough to use word prediction to convey that novel message, mm-hmm, right. right? That's a critical life skill for them so that they can tell us the food they want to eat if it's not in there, which right. seems like a trivial thing, but that they can also report if somebody is harming them, that they right. can also convey if somebody is neglecting them. Um, I think when when we think about literacy, sometimes we think about, oh, we get to read books and talk about stories. But it's also just such a critical life skill to make sure that from that point on, they're able to advocate for themselves and their needs. Absolutely. I want to go back to one thing you said about um, modeling failure in front of your learners. But I also think you can model failure in front of paraeducators or other other re, other teachers that are either reluctant or not not knowing what to do with those kids with complex bodies because I will do a group in a classroom and then say well that bombed and I know that because look at how checked out that kid is like I'm out loud about what am I observing how am I problem solving what critical thinking skills am I adding to this so that I could alter what I'm doing to get to get to increase engagement or to increase or to to reach the um, literacy goal I was going for turns out I was going for compliance. That was, that's, I didn't even realize I was probably going to bomb every time. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, I think, I think being, being able, being willing to go to, to um, push in, do literacy stuff, have it fail, learn from it and then come back the next week, which is really, really hard, especially if you're type A or perfectionist or all the things that SLPs typically are known or for. We're supposed to be the, the, you know, the expert in the room. Expert. Yeah. 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 So there's that. I think that expertness, if it's that's not a word, um, mm-hmm. that expert quality, I think, um, can sometimes get in our way as professionals. Yes, and I think because it's hard sometimes, right? Like if a if a literacy activity or a learner fails at something, again, I'm using air quotes, it's not a failure of the learner, right? right? That's on us. That means something about that activity was not correctly accessible, was not, you know, high interest enough, didn't meet, you know, I can't tell you how many stories I've written about obscure, you know, Japanese anime characters because it was an (laughs) interest, right? Right. To me, it's, it's, it's not on them, it's on us. And that's, a hard thing to swallow especially I mean maybe not as a these I hate calling myself a seasons professional but as a brand new grad that's really hard because you don't want that appearance but I think the more that we can do that as a profession the more we're in a space where we don't have maybe the incredible mental health stuff we've got going on in professionals because I feel like we've got this we have to maintain this perfect social media everything about my therapy was correct and wonderful And I Mm -hmm. think it gives the wrong impression to everyone who's trying to do the hard work of comprehensive literacy. And it's not just comprehensive literacy, but I do, I am a, I'm a fan of modeling failure. Um, That sounds weird coming out of my mouth, but I think Mm -hmm. it's really, really important. Even if it's just verbally saying to the kid, like that totally did not work the way I meant Mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. And obviously, usually I get a big smile. I'm like, I, yeah, I feel you. Yeah, that totally didn't work. I am sorry yeah. that that activity didn't work out. 
you know what, I'm going to come up with a different way we can try it and I'll come back and we'll try again. And then yeah. aren't you connecting with that student too in that same way? And I love what you said about that kind of kind of like we're all human and we all make mistakes and it's okay. We need to see this. And I think that's part of the reason Brendan and I love this podcast because we talk to people who, you know, are doing the 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 right thing they're doing all the things and we're like so excited and then you you talk we talk to you and it's like oh you're human too and you yeah. have this experience and and it's okay and then if people can hear this and I think it's so important for us to be able to have these conversations um yeah. but Alyssa we could probably have another 12 podcasts with you which maybe <laughs> we'll have to line up another um I feel like we could talk to you for a lot longer but we as we wrap up um what do you want people to know about what you're doing right now? Ooh, um, I I think the biggest thing, especially when it comes to the Facebook group and kind of helping to to mentor people through these rounds, is that you know it this is more about the community, me providing a structure for the community to engage with this work, um, and I think you know it's it is. It is definitely a side passion project. Um, and, you know, I I don't foresee myself stopping doing it anytime soon because there are still many, many learners who don't have the literacy skills they need. And, you know, whether whether you as a as a new person to comprehensive literacy dive into our book study or it's trying something new. I mean, I think it's about about just taking one step forward, start by making the next change. And the work that I am hoping it came across, I'm very passionate about making sure our learners have access to participate in their environments. To mm -hmm. me, that's a perfect kind of mashup of my OT brain, you know, my AAC kind of voice and the literacy heart I have. I mean, I, I really, I want uh, the people who are doing this great research um, to have some platforms for that great knowledge to be disseminated. Um, because it is, we are still very much in the infancy of knowing what works for our learners. We have a lot of research behind us, but we don't have years and years and years of, you know, decades of education research that a lot of other places do. So to me, it's about being able to kind of look at situations and figure out, you know, how, how can we, what's the next best step for this learner? Right. Um, and that doesn't have to be an overwhelming thing. It can be small. So I, I encourage people to reach out and join the Facebook group. Um, or, you know, if they're starting a book study or coaching people through a book study, reach out if they want any of the resources I've posted. Um, but to me, it's about how can we help continue to spread the word that all, all learners have a right and should and can um, learn literacy skills. Well, Alyssa, Wonderful. thank you so much. I mean, thank you for being so generous with your time. I don't even want to know how much time you spend on this. <laughs> your resources, your um, your knowledge base. I mean, not being at all territorial about anything that you're doing. It's just helping the community immensely. It was one of the reasons why we really wanted you on here is because we just feel like that your heart is in it for all the right reasons and by the way it still is if you decide to charge for something but i'm just saying i we know that um all of us in the industry that are really passionate about this do a lot of outside work but we yours is so so helpful for these communities so first of all thank you for all that you've done mm -hmm. and all the knowledge you've shared and thanks for being on this podcast because it was yeah. really 
fun. And I hope people take a look at the pod, at the um, Facebook page and um, check out your um, graphics because I think, I think it's going to hit yeah, home. for. And, and we do, I do get some people that email me and say, well, I don't use Facebook and I don't, you know, um, I've had people make a Facebook account just for the purposes of yeah. joining the literacy group. And I that's bet. the only thing they use it for. Um, uh, it is absolutely a labor of love, more emphasis on love than labor. Um, and, and for as long as people are wanting to learn about how to do this, um, whether it's their, their learner in their classroom or their student sitting in their home, um, we'll, we'll be there on the Facebook group doing it. Great. Awesome. We'll be, we'll be the, participating and, and yeah. looking for more. Can't wait to see the next, next steps. So of course. thank you so thank much you. for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for having me.